I want them to know unconditional love. I want them to know their value and their worth aside from what they accomplish or what they, what they succeed at in life, in anything, whether it's sport or academically. I think that no matter what, that I want them to know that they're loved, that they're worthy of being loved, and, and hopefully the, the knowledge of that truth will free them up to pursue their passions, you know, that it'll, it'll help them to be free enough to try at something and risk failing because they know that they're valuable anyway, you know, they know that they're loved unconditionally. Ultimately, I think when you're free to do that, when you're free to jump in to, to take risks and to, to make big, scary, audacious dreams and go after them, and if you fall short, they're still becoming who they were made to be through that process. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello, RMA. Welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. I'm excited to have you here with me today. I hope you loved our last episode with Tim Oberg, where we chatted all things about Parkrun Australia and how Tim was able to bring Parkrun to our shores. On today's episode of the podcast, we have a really special guest, Eloise Wellings. Eloise is a dual Olympian, four times Commonwealth Games representative, mum, humanitarian, public speaker, and soon-to-be author. On this episode of the podcast, we dive into Eloise's journey with running from her roots as she ran alongside her mum on the trails around her local national park, to the tracks of Little Athletics, and onto the world stage as she advanced in her athletic career to pursue her dream of one day becoming an Olympian. Having qualified for her first Olympic Games at the tender age of 16 for the Sydney 2000 Olympics, Eloise was struck down with what would be the start of a long journey with bone stress injury after bone stress injury that would plague her career, one of the results of abuse on her body with an eating disorder as a teen. It was then that Eloise found faith and alongside that purpose and her journey to heal her body and her mind fortified her desire to continue on the path to Olympic glory. That she did alongside support from those she trusted most around her, resulting in qualifying and competing in two Olympic Games, her first in London in 2012, where she felt the joy and fulfillment of her dream, and again in Rio in 2016, where she had the performance of her career running in the 5,000 and 10,000 metre Olympic final. But this story is more than just about running. It's about allowing your path to take you to experiences and people that can not only change your trajectory, but the world. And it was a chance meeting while Eloise was rehabilitating her injury in the USA 
that she met and formed a bond with Ugandan athlete and former child soldier Julius Acom. Through this connection, she heard Julius's harrowing story and the plight of the people of Uganda, and it changed Eloise's perspective on what was important and how running and her newfound purpose could fulfill the needs of the people in Uganda and impact their health and sustainability by empowering communities to overcome poverty. Not long after, the Love Mercy Foundation was born. The Love Mercy Foundation exists to see communities in northern Uganda thriving independently by increasing access to healthcare, clean water, food security and income generation. They do this through projects such as Sense for Seeds, Well Worth It, The Water Project, The Maternity Project, alongside supporting their health centre, the Christina Health Centre, which opened in 2012. Running Mums Australia helped to found the Mother Run, two years running now, which supports a maternity project every May around Mother's Day. So far, the centre has delivered over 300 babies safely and the Mother Run has funded a much-needed incubator, which we discuss in this episode, for the clinic. However, they require our ongoing support and funds to meet the needs of the ever-increasing demand for their services to expecting women and mothers. In this episode, we also talk to Eloise about motherhood and what this means to her and the impact that she wants her journey to have on her children. Eloise also speaks publicly at schools and corporate groups about unlocking an Olympian mindset and is soon to release her first book, a memoir called One More Try. We're really excited to have Eloise on the episode today and I would really love you to follow along Eloise's journey and also follow along with the Love Mercy Foundation story. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Eloise Wellings. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocrem Massage Gel. Physiocrem has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocrem has our back. To get your own Physiocrem, head to www.physiocrem.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocrem at your local pharmacy. Hi, Eloise. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Thanks for having me. So happy that we finally sat down for this chat. We've been talking about it for such a long time. We have. But I think it's the perfect time. Yes, it is. (laughs) <laughs> it is. There's a lot. There is a lot to talk about. There is a lot happening. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. There is a lot happening. And um, well, let's start with what's been happening in your world. Uh, given COVID lockdown, how's that all going? How are you staying motivated at the moment? And uh, yeah, how's it affected your family, I guess, too? I guess we're just getting on with whatever we can get on with um so obviously um still training and um you know Indy is homeschooling and um yeah where Johnny's working um it's pretty pretty crazy at the hospital at the moment like pretty busy and um they just opened up another another COVID ward like he, he works in ICU um in a hospital in Sydney so he's yeah he's um, busy and it's a little bit stressful for him um, mm. but he yeah he's great he's coping really well and okay. um, but yeah like week 12 of lockdown there's been some hard days <laughs> there's been some hard days <laughs> yeah. I'm not the best h- homeschooling mum 
Um, <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I'm definitely, I've, it's been such a challenge to be honest, but I'm, you know, I'm just challenging myself to do um, something that I don't normally do. And, and obviously many of us don't normally do and yeah. um, just doing my best with it. And I guess that's all we can do. You know, I think, I think it gets to a point, I think, I think week three, it kind of came to a head and I was just like, you know, I'm just going to just, you know, we're trying to, we're going to try and get a little bit better at this every day. And mm. yeah, I think we've kind of found our groove by week 12. <laughs> um, but yeah, Indy's great. She's, you know, we're just yeah. doing what we can. We're just doing what we can. Yeah, you know what? That's all you can do. Yeah. And like, I, I feel you. I know exactly what it's like. And I'm at the other end of the scale with the children being older, but it's still no easier doing yeah. homeschool because motivation's at an all-time low there for like teenagers. Yeah. They're over yeah. it. Um, yeah. Little ones are hard work and being locked in your house and having, <laughs> I mean, you've got a beautiful LGA, but the same sort of thing every day and when they're younger, I find the homeschooling so much harder. It's just yeah, it's so much more. You need to give them so much more support. So yeah, I think uh, indeed, I think I mean from our experience, I think the kids are just really missing the structure. Yeah, and um, you know, from without in our family, like with an eighteen-month-old, you can't necessarily offer that structure <laughs> to to our eight-year-old um, because you never know what the the eighteen-month-old is going to be up to, and you know, like just trying to manage them both at the same time, but. As you say, we're, we're in a really, um, live in a beautiful area, so it's not a bad place to be locked down. And, um, yeah, just hoping that that um, we can kind of find our way out of this sometime soon. And, and it, it does look like things are, things are looking up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now we know a little bit more about you and the dynamics of your family. Let's get to know Eloise a little bit better so that those that – don't know who you are, can learn a little bit more about how you, I guess, came to running and where this journey has taken you. So can you give the listeners a little bit of info about who is Eloise, um, where did you grow up and how did running enter your life? Um, I grew up in Grace Point. It's a little leafy town in the Sutherland Shire. A great place to grow up as a kid. Had heaps of, um, like, was surrounded by a national park. Um, my parents still uh, live down at Grace Point. And, yeah, just feelings of nostalgia every time I visit them because it was just such a great, a great place to grow up. And I started running when I was about five years old. I remember I have, like, my earliest memories of running with my mum. She used to meet a group called Billy's Bushies. Um, oh, yeah. on the on the trails at, at, at Grace Point and um, every now and then I'd go up with her and, and run I'd start out with their group and uh, I'd just run as far as I can which was probably about a k and a half or 2k and then just walk home or jog walk home and and they continue on and yeah I just loved it I loved the feeling that I you know the freedom and the, the feeling that it gave me and um, I love timing myself and trying to beat my time, um, you know, and I, I ended up running, you know, getting, running more and more each time uh, that I'd run with that group. And yeah, I started a little athletics um, around the same time and loved that as well. It wasn't necessarily um, good 
at the outset from distance for uh, like at distance events, but I was I just gave everything a go and just loved the community aspect as well, the friends that I made and you know, buying a whole bunch of lollies in between events and feeling sick. Yeah, you know, like just just loved um loved the whole bit. I love that you know, you talk about how when you started running with your mum, which is so nice, like to mm. think back that that's where you began your journey. Um being a running mum's podcast, that's what I love about RMA is that we're role models for our children and a lot of us, you know, our children follow us. They don't always become runners, obviously, as adults, but we model that behaviour to them and your mum obviously was a big role model in your life and so and your dad. But, um, you know, what was it that you loved most about running with your mum? I mean, you said you loved the outdoors and you loved getting out and feeling that freedom, but what was it about running with your mum that you enjoyed? I think I was, because I was one of four kids in our family, it was probably... Um, looking back it was probably time with just me and my mum you know that we could share and there's something about running as all runners know there's something about this there's a sacred space in running to be able to chat and um, because you're not making direct eye contact you can kind of share with no bounds (laughs) you know like there's you can kind of um, you can kind of chat away with with no limits, you know, no limitations of feeling awkward or shy or not that I was ever like that with my mom. But I think that that's running, running kind of offered offers that space in general, yeah, um, to kind of connect with people on a deeper level. And and there's also the, you know, this the you know the idea and the um, the very fact that you're you're moving forward whilst you're running, and yeah. so you know, you're chatting away and you're leaving thoughts behind and you're leaving things, you know, it's almost like when you, you know, when you have a really rough day or have a heavy day, you can kind of, you, can, you feel like you can go for a run and, you know, the weight is lifting off you, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. and it's obviously physiological as well. It's, you know, it, there's endorphins that release when you, when you exercise and, but at that young age, I didn't, didn't realize that it was just kind of a freeing that's that's how I would describe a freeing feeling and and the fact that I got to do that with my mum was yeah it was really special Mm, that's such a good answer and (coughs) and obviously your mum's been a a massive fan of yours since you were little and uh does she still run now your mum uh she doesn't as much she swims a lot actually she's joined a swimming club and yeah she's like my dad's like chairman of the swimming club and she's um co-captain and like they, <laughs> they just love it um love and it. so she, yeah she swims almost every day in the in the ocean pool and um yeah. meets all of the other crazy people who swim all throughout winter in a pair of speedos <laughs> seen the um brass monkeys or whatever they're called down at Cronulla? yeah she's in the brass monkeys um at yeah. at shelly Yep. And um, she's in a couple of, she's in South Cronulla Club as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's in, she, she loves it. And, yeah, just still challenging herself to be uncomfortable. And I, that's inspiring yeah. to me as well. Like she's in her 70s. Uh, wow. And, yeah, she's challenging herself to be uncomfortable and, um, you know, just challenging herself physically still at that age and mm. um, seeing what else she can learn about where her limits are at this age and I love it. You know, yeah, it's great. Nothing more than just um I mean she races my dad so there's a bit of pride there but <laughs> also just, you know, just 
you know, there's no prizes or anything. It's just about yeah. getting out and seeing what, what your potential is. And it's also about that, obviously for them, it's that and seeing, you know, connecting with other people in their community. And obviously she instilled that in you, you know, you joined your athletics club and you were involved in sport in that way. And you were connecting, you know, they saw the value in connecting with other people in a healthy, positive way. Um, and, you know, you said that you weren't always great at and everything you did at athletics, but when did that change for you? Because obviously there was a shift in your athletic career along the way that made you realize that there was actually some potential that you had. Yeah, I, I was age 10 when the Olympic dream started in me. I was, I was watching the Barcelona on television on, um, oh, sorry, the Barcelona Olympics on television. And uh, I just remember being so inspired and it's interesting because, you know, obviously that we've just been announced um, that the, it's just been announced that Brisbane's going to get the 2032 Olympics. And mm. that's, that excites me so much because I just think about all the 10 year old me's that, yeah. you know, sat and watched the Tokyo Olympics on television and, you know, in, in 10 or 11 years time, are going to be able to line up um, potentially at their first Olympics. And, you know, um, yeah, so that's kind of where the Olympic dream began. And, you know, I started to see more promise um, after that. I, I just started to get more serious about what I really enjoyed about the sport, and that was the longer distances. And and that's where genetically think, I think that I was more gifted too. Like my mum was obviously, you know, good at distance running and my uncle um, Harry was a, a good distance runner as well. And so I think genetically it made more sense for me to to follow in their um path but but i was just also just started to get really passionate about you know going the distance and um for me at that age it was like 800 you know that was the longest the longest that we'd run at little athletics but yeah and then you know won my first state title at uh the under 13s um 3000 meters and and then yeah i managed to run the qualifying time for the Sydney Olympics when three years later when I was when I was 16. Wow I mean that's incredible I mean 16 like when I think back to when I was 16 you're just a child really I mean these mm. days 16 year olds are a little bit more um grown up than I was when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. but when I think back to when you know I was 16 you, were, you know you're probably a bit further behind me but you know, you're only just learning about the world. And so your whole world was opened up to possibility of mm. being able to compete on the world stage. What, what, how, did, how did you feel about that when you first qualified? Like, what were the thoughts that were going through your head about that experience that was going to come? I was just so excited because I actually thought, I actually knew from training, um, and I make it sound really, really easy by saying, yeah, I've won my first title, title at, state title at 13 and then qualified for the Olympics three years later. But there was, you know, I, I, I worked really, really, really hard um, when, when I, you know, set myself the goal to make the Olympics. I, I you know, that was what I was setting out to do. And so I, you know, I did everything I can and was ticking all the boxes and would go over and above um, what was expected of me in training and, um, 
you know, just did all of the one percenters and, you know, sometimes you can do that and it doesn't work out, but, um, you know, you don't get the outcome that you want. And that's happened to me many times over. Um, but yeah, on on this occasion, um, you know, I, I think I surprised myself. It was my first 5,000 meter on the track up until that point I'd been running, you know, competitively on, you know, I went to world juniors for the 3000 meters and world youth um, championships for the 3000 meters. And then um, they took the 3000 meter event out of the Olympics and made it 5000 meters. So I had to, I had to step up and, um, and yeah. And, and so that I kind of surprised myself, but also my coach and I had talked about the training, like we'd gone before the race we we talked about the training that I'd been doing over the last couple of months and and he said, you know, I really think you have a, a shot at, you know, this of running this time and um and you know and that kind of instilled some confidence that, oh wow, he, he actually thinks that I could do it. Because I was thinking it anyway. But then mm. it it actually when someone actually says those words there's so much power in that especially someone that you trust and someone that's been watching you and you know um that you've been working with and I already have a connection with when they say like I, I honestly think that you can do this it kind of affirms what you're you've already been thinking and so I don't know I feel like I grew an extra foot after that conversation and I thought well I'm just going to go and have a crack because nobody is expecting me to to mm. do this time and it's my first one and if I, if I don't do it, then nobody's going to say that I'm a terrible runner. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. But yeah, the feeling after was, was great. And I was, you know, I was still 16. I remember getting home and, you know, mum had dinner on the table and they went out to this Oktoberfest ball because it was in October. And yeah, it was just, I, I have such vivid memories about that whole yeah. day. But, you know, yeah. like I was still being told to what time to go to bed and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But like, it's so funny that you say like that somebody, well, it's, it's really pivotal that you say that somebody believed in you when Mm. you were 16, you know, back then when you were a young girl, someone actually had faith in you to be able to achieve. But not only that, you had faith in yourself to be able to achieve Mm. and you put everything on the line to do it and you worked hard, you were committed, obviously you trained really, really hard. Do you think that also, given that you were only 16, there was that element of just sort of, I guess, less inhibition. You just kind of went for it because there wasn't someone sitting there watching the result. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I, the only pressure I've really ever felt, to be honest, is the pressure that I've put on myself. Like no one else has ever put the amount of pressure on me yeah. that I put on myself. And yeah. so everything else kind of pales anyone else's you know expectations kind of pales into you know in comparison to my own Mm -hmm. and so but I think that that's that's part of what makes me tick you know that's part of what drives me and part of my ambitiousness and some and it's about finding a really healthy balance um because obviously you know you don't want to you don't want to have such high pressure and such high expectations that you're constantly overreaching but Mm. also I want to be an athlete and a person who expects the best you know Mm. who expects the best and who expects good things to happen 
and I don't want to be that, that, you know, I don't want to be someone who, you know, I don't know, is negative or, you know, is shies away from a challenge or, you know, shies away what, or, or even just limits my potential. Because yeah. I think we have the ability to, just by the way we think, to limit our potential. And, you know, I, I always want to be someone who's, who's just expecting the best and expecting good things to happen. And I think in some ways that's what excites me about moving up to the marathon um, now is that it's, there's so much unknown. It scares mm-hmm. the heck out of me as well. <laughs> but it also, it's also like, oh, this is so new and so fresh and, you know, what, what is, what's this going to look like? How's this story going to unfold? And it's very yeah. intriguing to me. And so um, even though there's probably more people watching and following on, I'm, like I say, like I'm, you know, I'm expecting good things to happen. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just wait and see. And, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. And, like, there's something to be said about having that positive mindset. Absolutely. And wanting to get the best out of yourself, not shying away from the challenge. You know, your mm. coach could have said to you, I reckon you can get this time and you could have, going the other way and oh, I don't know you know imagine if you talk to yourself like that like oh, I don't know if I can do it you know and put those negative thoughts in your mind and you may not have achieved what you did achieve so mm-hmm. yeah I think um obviously having that person in your corner from the start helped you as well and yeah. and since having the right people and the support around you with your family and your coaches and your other mm. um, teammates who you train with it all plays a big role. But yeah. let's talk now about how that story did unfold. So after you did qualify for Sydney Olympic Games, then what happened after that? Well, I got injured and couldn't line up, <laughs> Yeah, um, which is not funny, but, <laughs> but also <laughs> I can laugh about it now um, somewhat. But, yeah, it was it was devastating at the time I um a couple of weeks after I ran the qualifying time uh I started to get a sore hip and um I ran through it for a few days as you as runners generally do um Mm -hmm. tried to ignore it a bit but then it just got started to get worse and worse and I hadn't I hadn't actually had any injuries at that point I was still obviously still really young so um, didn't really know how to handle injuries and what to do and, um, you know, when to stop and or how to, how to even abbreviate training to kind of manage any injury. Um, but I could probably write a book on that now. <laughs> um, really? Hmm. Yeah. Um, you might. <laughs> yeah. Um, chat about that. <laughs> I, but, yeah, I had a – it turns out that – it turned out that I had a, a stress – fracture in my the neck of my femur which is a really it's it's an ugly kind of injury in terms of stress fractures it's a it's not a great spot to have um a bony injury and you know it was an immediate stop running um basically non-weight bearing um for at least three months um and yeah which would mean that I was going to miss the Sydney Olympics and yeah, it was devastating. I, I, I felt like, you know, running was who I was and I felt like by not being able to run, I was, you know, losing my identity. 
and my self-worth, um, you know, plummeted and, um, you know, I've kind of felt like I'd lost myself. Um, and I was so young and I had all these, you know, all of these emotions and feelings that I didn't, hadn't really felt before and dealt with. And yeah, so it was a really, it was a really challenging time to go through as a, as a teenager. And thankfully I got, I got through that. I found faith during that time, which honestly, like it was the pivotal moment in my life. And, you know, my faith in Jesus has gotten me through so many challenging um, times in my life. And, you know, it was, um, you know, when people say, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I look yeah. back at my story and I like, if there was one injury that I was meant to get, it was that one because, yeah. you know, I, um, through that whole process of healing my injury, I had to also heal, uh, an eating disorder that I'd been struggling with. And, um, you know, without that injury, I probably wouldn't have like, that wouldn't have come to the fore, you know, that wouldn't, it had yeah. been three years that I'd been, privately and secretly dealing with this eating disorder and um it started when I was 13 and I hadn't actually admitted that I had the problem yet and you know the injury and finding faith was the catalyst of going you know what I I need help you know I need to I need to get a, a network around me that can support me in getting through this and you know, eating disorders has since been recognised as a mental illness. And um, but back then it was kind of like not many people knew really how to deal with it. Um, yeah. But and which was which, and, and I mean, not many people that weren't trained um, knew how to deal with it. It was just a matter of oh, like, why don't you just eat? Like, why can't you just <laughs> eat? You know, and it's just, no, yeah. it's not. And I think it's so important. Um, for anyone that might be struggling with, you know, disordered eating or, um, you know, body dysmorphia or any, anything like that to, to get a network of people around you that have, um, you know, worked with athletes or worked with people um, in your situation before and have experience in and finding someone as well that you trust and that you connect with. Because it doesn't matter how much experience someone has if you can't connect with them. And that's something that I've really learned over, over the years as well. And not just, um, you know, it's psychology, you know, or psychologists or but mm. doctors as well, physios, you know, every person that I work with, every person that's on my team um, to help me as an athlete and support me as an athlete, I, I connect with and I trust. And I think you've just got to have that, um, yeah, so that was a that was a huge turning point in my life, and um, and then after that, you know, I got better slowly but surely. It was probably more like six months before I ran um, again because I was I was dealing with you know the mental illness as well as the injury. So and because running was so connected to. Um, you know, the eating disorder and, and what was happening there. It, yeah. it just took me a little while longer to kind of start back running. So, and just to make sure that I was mentally ready and mentally healthy enough to not, um, no, not transition back into those old thoughts and those old habits. Mm -hmm. And um, it took six years 
for, you know, from 13 to age 19. So by the time I, I guess three years of, you know, hard work of sometimes one step forward, two steps back some days of, um, challenging myself to break out of the thought habits and, um, and, you know, getting the, the, you know, the treatment and the, the people around me and, and, um, continuing, continuing, um, you know, talking and being open with people that were close to me and, yeah, 19, I felt like I was, I was well and truly on the road to, to recovery. Wow. And it, uh, thanks for sharing that because I was really hoping you were going to bring that up, part of your story up because mm. it's a story that resonates with a lot of women and mm. it's not often talked about enough. Um, and I know, you know, we've talked about together myself, you know, had struggled with an eating disorder, you know, 15 hard years. And mm. to be honest, it's still something that every now and then pops up as ugly little head. So I think you're so right in just surrounding yourself with people who you can connect with, that you trust, that you can talk to, that understand. Mm-hmm. And it is a mental illness. Yes, there's physical, I guess, aspects that go along with that. And, and for me, you know, when I started running as a younger girl, probably in the teens as well, that's why I ran. It was, it was yeah, I love being outdoors and I love the feeling it gave me, but I ran because I wanted to stay skinny. Like that yeah. was it. So I had to mm. change my mindset around why I moved my body, how I viewed my body, um, the value that I had didn't come from what I looked like. It came from, you know, God's, you know, gift of giving me life and mm. what I could give to the world. And, yeah. you know, it's such a long process. Um, mm. So, you know, in sharing your story, Eloise, through going to, and I can hear it in your voice when you talk about it, it, it <laughs> it's, it's a hard journey. It really yeah. is a hard journey. And even though, you know, we come through the other side and we've been able to overcome so many of those demons, it still sometimes rears its little head. Mm. How do you, how have you been able to manage that when it has poked its head back out again and sort of started giving you those negative voices that tell you, yeah, maybe you should go I'm, back there? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good question because, um, you know, I think I think I became aware a long time ago that this would be this would be something that would always be a, a tiny little weakness, you know, a tiny little um, weakness that I could turn out to be, you know, I could turn around to be my fortified point of strength, you know, in that when this comes up, if it does, and normally, to be honest, it's in a time of um, when I feel like I'm lacking control yeah. and, you know, this, and I actually heard on the radio this morning um, that the incidence of eating disorders young, um, amongst young women has skyrocketed during this time of, of lockdown especially, mm-hmm. and, um, which is really sad, but I'm really glad that, you know, that that's, there's even a stat on it and there's a, there's a story on it because the more we open up the conversation, the, the more there is, you know, there's less stigma behind it and there's, you know, more conversation and more, um, more opportunity for people that are struggling to go, Hey, I'm like, I'm not okay, you know? And so, but for me, I think it's about being super aware of of just being really self-aware of, 
triggers and I think I've just got really good, I guess, at, at going, oh, yeah, I've, I've told myself that story before. And, yeah. and, and that's, the direct, that's the road that it leads me down. And I don't think I w- would ever begin the habits of an eating disorder again, the habits and, you know, the destructive things that you actually do, the actions that follow the thoughts. Um, but yeah, every now and then, you know, like the thoughts come up and just catching them and going, Hmm, you know, creating some distance and going, Whoa, where did, you know, where did that come from? And I think in a ways like becoming a mum, especially to a daughter was hugely impacting on me when I, we didn't, we didn't know, um, whether we're having a boy or girl's first time round um, with Indy. And, you know, when I had a daughter, I just, I felt just such a responsibility and just um, to, like a responsibility to make sure that I modelled really healthy behaviour. And yeah. it made me kind of, it, it forced me to kind of go, I, like I, she will never, and this is one of the things that I wrote down, I wrote in my journal a few days after she was born, she will never hear me talk about my body negatively ever. Mm-hmm. And because that hearing people around me when I was growing up and even friends at school and talk about themselves negatively and, you know, the magazines and, you know, yeah. everything that as young women we're fronted with, mm-hmm. um, it can be really impacting. And I want Indy, I want my daughter, like who I'm her main female role model, I want to model that for her as much as I can before she's out there in the world, you know, seeing those magazines when you're buying your shopping or, um, you know, now online with social media, I'm like, gosh, how how do you control this? But honestly, it starts at home. Mm -hmm. It starts at home. And, yeah, I think that that was a real that was a real eye opener for me and, and just challenging myself to be healthy because I need to be healthy, but be healthy because, and, and, and speak good things and, and um, because I want her to, you know, grow up and love herself for who she is yeah. and no matter what she looks like and no matter what size she is, like it's just, it's, yeah, just to be all that she can be and know that she's unconditionally loved no matter what um, and that she would unconditionally love herself. That's my hope for her. And, yeah, so that was, that was, a, big, that was a big moment for me as well in, in this whole journey. But, yeah, I think just being really aware when things come up and um, when thoughts come into my mind and I think, yeah, just going through with, some, with a trusted or, and with an expert, like triggering thoughts and, and even triggering um, people in your life potentially and setting boundaries around that. And yeah, that, those sorts of things were really helpful. Mm. A lot of your work you do now is in mentoring younger athletes and also, you know, you do your public speaking work with teens at schools, um, about, you know, unharnessing that Olympian mindset, but also I guess a lot of that probably comes into play with sharing part of your story, especially to young girls. I mean, if, if anyone was 
listening to this, including young girls who are struggling with an eating disorder or body dysmorphia or all those negative thoughts that come into their head, what would you, what advice would you give them how to, I guess, navigate that? I would just say, first and foremost, um, I feel you. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I, I empathise that you're struggling with this, and, but there is hope. And there is a way out and um, there's a way forward and, you know, you are loved and you are worthy of being nourished. You are worthy of being fed. And um, no matter how much exercise you do that day or no no matter how much you accomplish that day, um, you are worthy of being nourished with food and good food. And, yeah, I, I just encourage you to find somebody in your life that you can open up to and share with around this and if you can't feel free to to reach out to me and I can potentially help you if you're in Sydney or at least New South Wales um, or even Australia I can um, help you find someone that you can connect with an expert that can help you um, navigate your your way through it. I mean, it's just such a big thing, especially for young girls, but athletes as well. I mean, do you think that it's changed in terms of young athletes now moving up? Um, Do you think this is still a really big issue or do you think it's kind of, I guess, better than it was? I think it's it's probably stayed the same. I I just think that there's, there's more conversation around it, which is really, really encouraging, really positive. I think that uh, there's probably more resources being thrown at it in terms of um, in the broader sense of mental illness or, or, or um, at least well-being amongst athletes. Um, and, yeah, and that's, that's really helpful. And I think, I think we can do more. I always think that we can do more. Um, but, yeah, like I'd love to see, I'd love to see us, um, you know, Athletics Australia, kick off our, um, you know, our female developing athlete uh, camps again. And, you know, we used to do those. Sarah Jamison um, headed those up a number of years ago and they were just so crucial, I believe, in, in mentoring and, and connecting with the younger athletes and um, being able to share really openly about, you know, around food and training and, um, yeah. you know, energy expenditure and periods and like all of this stuff that if you've got a male coach who isn't necessarily, um, you know, researched um, in those areas, then they're probably not going to say a whole lot because they don't know a whole lot. And, yeah. you know, it, sometimes it can be awkward to talk to a young athlete about whether she's getting a period or not and, but, you know, whether she's, whether she's okay, you know, because you've noticed that she's really leaned down and, and, and that's, that's the thing too. I think just, um, yeah, just keeping the conversation really open and, and allowing um, space to, to, for e- to say, I see you, you know, for each other to say, I see you. And if you need to reach out, like reach out. Mm. Well, I, I hope that there is more and more of this conversation and I think that, you know, you could play a big role in that, Eloise, um, 
in what you've been through and obviously being an athlete yourself and being able to work with organizations like athletics Australia in doing exactly that. Um, so keep having the conversation, keep pushing yeah. for it because so yeah. many women need it. And especially now moving up, they need women to be able to support them. So yeah, well thanks, done Nick. for sharing that. Um, I just wanted to go back in terms of, you know, obviously you were suffering with this eating disorder and it probably did play a big part in the injuries and setbacks that have, you know, I guess happened throughout your career. Mm -hmm. um, but you did end up being able to qualify and compete finally at the Olympic mm -hmm. Games in London. It yep. was your first Olympic Games and then again in Rio. Um, so what was it like when you finally did make the start line? Let's go to a happy place now. When you finally did make the start <laughs> line in Rio and you were standing there in the stadium with all those people, sorry, in London, when you're standing there in the stadium with all those people um, watching you, what kind of thoughts were going through your mind after all that you'd been through? I remember it like it was yesterday, to be honest. I still get goosebumps when I think about it because I was so emotional. I remember walking from the call room because in the call room they kind of line you up in the in the um, in the number that you'll be on the starting line. So yeah. position number one goes first, two, and three, so on. And um, I was about middle of the middle of the pack and middle of the lineup and. Yeah, I just remember walking out and I just was getting um, that, that song, um, The Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine was playing <laughs> in the stadium, The Dog Days Are Over. Like I couldn't think of a more perfect song for yeah. me in that moment. Yeah. And it was in the acoustic version as well. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and during that, I just, I was getting all of these flashbacks in my head of every single moment that I'd had to fight, um, fight for this and fight for, um, you know, to achieve this moment and to live this moment. And, oh, gosh, I got to the starting line. I was in no emotional state to run 10,000 metres. <laughs> um, it's whack looking back at it, but I've, I think, you know, Looking back, I know that that had to happen. I know it would have been, you know, a 12, a 19 year since, 19 years since I first mm -hmm. said I wanted to run at the Olympics and three opportunities missed. Three, three times I'd been measured for the uniform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 10 stress fractures later over, over those years and finally i was i was living my dream and i looked up um when i was on the starting line and i saw my family up in the stadium mm. and uh yeah it was a special moment it was a special moment i didn't i ran i ran okay i came i think i came 21st i i say that because i've i've gone up a couple of places because it, yeah a couple of athletes have been have tested positive to performance enhancing drugs um, which is always an interesting feeling too when you when you get noticed that you've gone up an extra place at the Olympic Games. Um, but I don't think that I would have run as well in Rio. Like I think if I hadn't have had London, you know, I had to have I had to have this 
this emotion, this big emotional moment where I was like about to live my dream that I'd worked so hard for and struggled mm. for for many years and was finally coming to pass. And then, you know, four years later in Rio, I was, I was just determined to get, make the most of, get the most out of myself and, and take risks as well. For London in the lead up, um, my training, like we scaled back my training a lot. Once I made the team, um, we got rid of all of, you know, the ex- second runs and, you know, I had a little injury scare a few months out and it, my coach and I, Nick, had a conversation and he said, you know, if, if, you, if you get injured before this Olympics, it, you know, it could affect the rest of your running career. You know, you might not even want to do it again. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So he's like, let's, let's just make sure you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and m- me and my ambitious personality was like, ah, oh, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm probably not going to run as well as I know that I potentially can if I do all of the training and I, mm-hmm. you know, I do every single, you know, like I run you know, the amount of mileage that I would um, hope to to bring out my best performance. But mm. also in hindsight, I'm so grateful for that conversation and that, that idea because it did allow me to live my dream. And then four years later, I was able to take those risks knowing that I was an Olympian and that was never going to change. Like I'd, that, yeah. I'd ticked that box yeah. and I'd made you know, I'd hit that goal. And now in Rio, I was, I was willing to put it all on the line and, and take some risk. And I physically, I was stronger anyway in Rio. Um, you know, I hadn't had a, a stress fracture for years by that point, um, for five years by Rio. So I was, you know, I was able to get a much more training done and make the final and, and then, um, and come top 10 in, in the 10,000 was, was incredible. Yeah, how incredible. And how old was Indy at that time when you went to Rio? Uh, Indy was three. Yeah. Three. yeah. So, you yeah, know, you managed to, to train and, and make the Olympic Games in, in um, London, get through all this injury setbacks, build upon the foundation that you'd set yourself and then go after it in Rio. So, I mean, their memories are never going to fade. You're going to take that mm. away with you. I still remember seeing the pictures of Indy, like the cute little Indy. <laughs> watching yeah. on And just, you know, the incredible performance of you in Rio um, was pretty exciting. So I want to now move to another part of your story, which was when you were going through all this injury setback. And we talked before about how, you know, you said there was pivotal moments in your life when things happened, like when you came to faith. And obviously I believe there are things in life that bring us to a point where we're meant to be and meant to, I guess, worlds are meant to collide and you're meant to meet people that are going to just change your Mm. world. Mm. Um, and this is what happened for you when you were injured and, and somebody came into your life named Julius and you heard a little bit of his story and that has impacted your world in terms of you later on forming the Love Mercy Foundation. So would you be able to just, I know we could have a whole podcast just on <laughs> and we, we pretty much have, we could have a whole podcast on all of these different themes, let's say, to be honest. 
But I wanted to cover these three main parts of your story, obviously where you came to running the Love Mercy Foundation and obviously motherhood and also your journey with an eating disorder because I think these these parts of your life are all intertwined um, and they tell a really beautiful story even though sometimes it is, you know, there's devastating moments. But for mm. you, this devastating moment of being injured, I guess, led you to meet Julius. Do you want to just tell the listeners where that was and what I guess unfolded. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Nick. I um it was I was trying to make my third Olympics and um so I'd missed two already and Beijing two thousand and eight it was gonna be my third time lucky. Mm. And um I got another stress fracture just three months out and it, I was at a point then that I wanted to quit. I just was so discouraged and despondent. And, um, but I got this opportunity to go over to Portland to try and rehab my foot um, on the anti-gravity treadmill, which was at that time, there was only two or three in the world and they were in Portland um, at the Nike campus over there. And I was um, sponsored by Nike at the time and I got an invitation to go over and try and rehab my foot um, in this last ditch effort. And, uh, you know, Johnny encouraged me to, to keep going and but I was still really negative about my situation. I was, you know, I got over there and, um, you know, I, and I, I met Julius. Um, we were staying at the same um, house in Portland and um, we became immediate friends uh, we have a really similar sense of humour and, um, you know, I mean, Julius, Julius makes friends everywhere he goes. Like mm-hmm. I have, you know, just hanging out for, and being, being friends with him for the last 11, almost 12 years, um, I've realised um, just how personable and how, you know, how he has this gift um, yeah. of, of connecting with people, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, um, race, religion, everything. Um, but, yeah, that, that's just a side note and um, something that I really admire about him. Um, but, yeah, we, we had an immediate friendship and uh, he asked me about my foot and I just said, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've, I've you know, this, this will be my third olympics that i'm gonna miss and you know i was still on crutches and i'm like i just can't see this working out i've got three months to try and get this right um my foot is really sore i can barely walk let alone run Mm -hmm. um and he said you know if i told if i told you my story and where i've come from your foot problem will become very small and he began to tell me his story of um, being born in northern Uganda and um, he was age 11 when he was kidnapped by rebel soldiers in Uganda and forced to be a child soldier and for three months he was held at a rebel camp um, with 13 other boys um, and he escaped that rebel camp um, after three months and made it home to his family and he was desperate to get an education and his his parents couldn't afford the the five dollar per semester school fee um so and he heard that if you became a good runner then there was a potential that you could get a scholarship to go to school 
And to cut his story really, really short, because uh, it's an incredible story, he went on to become a, an incredible runner and went on to captain the, the Ugandan team at the Atlanta 1996 Olympics and the Sydney 2000 Olympics, um, running in the 1500-metre event in both events, in both Olympics. And um, But when I met Julius, he was a pacemaker. He was working for Nike as a pacemaker for some of the top American athletes, so Galen Rupp, Kara Goucher, um, but sending most of his wage home to, um, to support 11 orphans that he'd found living on a, underneath a bus in the height of the war. And, uh, yeah, when I, when I heard his story, it just brought great perspective, obviously, to, to my situation. And, um, you know, we continued talking over the coming weeks and um, he invited us to his wedding in Uganda and uh, so Johnny and I went um, a few months later, about six months later, we went to Uganda and went to Julius and, and Grace's wedding. And um, we, um, we met the children that he'd been supporting and, and his family. And, and he, he shared with us that he had this vision for his community to help people, um, you know, dig themselves out of poverty and, um, to, just to help bring development and, and empowerment to his community and, and the people there. And, um, and he asked for help. And, and so, you know, we, we, um, we said, yeah, like, we'll, we'll stand alongside you and, um, you know, what do you need? And, and so we started the Love Mercy Foundation and we run three main projects. Uh, we, we were able to raise money to, to fund the build of a, a clinic, um, which was named after Julius's mother, Christina, um, the Christina Health Centre. And Christina, um, Julius's mum, was tragically killed during the war. And so this was a great, I guess, legacy mm. um, for Julius and, and a, in a huge moment to, to open up this medical clinic in, in honour of his mum. And then we have... Um, the clinic uh, has treated over 25,000 patients since it's been opened. We, in 2017, um, our team uh, let us know of the need for a maternity space. Um, and so we opened up a maternity space within the clinic. Um, and since that time, there's been over 900 healthy babies born with the, you know, very capable and under the expertise of the, the midwives and the, the local um, medical team at the clinic. And then we have Census Seeds, which is a farming loan program uh, that we run primarily with women um, to help um, create their own sustainability, food sustainability um, and food security through farming. And then the water program, Well Worth It, uh, where we, um, we fund um, drilling wells for clean water because we just believe that Clean water is a, a basic human right and um, no one should, should be without it. So, uh, yeah, that project has been going on really well. We've been able to drill uh, 35 wells so far um, in wow. various communities in northern Uganda so far this year. Yeah, Julius and the team over there have a huge vision and it's, it's really just such a privilege to be able to stand alongside them and um, in that vision and, and see the impact um, of their hard work. Yeah. It's, it's really just been so incredible. And yeah, so I guess by the time 
you know, I didn't end up making it to the Beijing Olympics. I, I wasn't, my foot healed actually, but wasn't, I just wasn't fit enough um, in time. But I knew that I was in Portland to meet Julius. Like I just, yeah. you know, there was just this um, this different perspective that I'd had, and you know, um, and we just got about planning and um, you know, casting vision over what the next few years would look like in terms of how would we fundraise and um, you know what what that looks like on our side in Australia and then our team in Uganda sharing how they see the future looking and you know what good looks like to them you know what great looks like to them what what development looks like to them mm. yeah and so we're we're so grateful for for your support Nicole especially running mums Australia we we ran the the mother run um, which kicked off two years ago um, yeah. as a virtual event in May to coincide with Mother's Day and that was amazing that um, we were able to raise almost $30,000 um, and buy a humidity crib for our um, Christina Health Centre maternity space. And just last week, actually, if I could just share this story, there was a mum who presented, um, she was in labour and um, they, uh, she was in prolonged labour and um, they found out she was having twins, which is the first time she realized she was having twins which is not uncommon yeah. in uganda because they just don't have the the facilities and the resources the ultrasound to um, find that out which is what we're trying to um deliver in terms of our um, vision for khc having an ultrasound mm -hmm. and being able to provide um mm -hmm. that service as well um yeah. but yeah this woman came in and um and birthed twins um, and they were preterm, so they, you know, they needed to use the um, the incubator to um, keep them warm and keep them safe and and healthy and and cause them to thrive. And so that was basically, I, I guess, life saving in in that in that incidence. The the babies were there for for one week um, under the care of our our team at KHC and. You know, there was great joy when they were able to to go home, and and she's and the mother has been bringing um, the twins back um, every couple of weeks. Um, well, she's going to she she came back yesterday uh, again, and um, and she'll come back for the next little while just to make sure that the the twins are thriving and that she has all the support that she needs. And um, yeah, without that humidity crib that we were um, that you guys were able to. Um, raise funds for um, you know who knows um, what could have happened but yeah we're just grateful for for the support and for standing alongside other women yeah. globally and you know women on the other side of the world who who don't who unjustly don't have um, the same access to facilities as we do when when we give birth and um, yeah so thanks so much to all the running mums that were involved in the mother run in May 2020 and in 2021 um, and we're doing it again in 2022 which would be great yeah. uh, really looking forward to that and uh, yeah we have we have some big plans for that too so it's exciting uh, I just love hearing that story because where do I even start like talk about worlds colliding I mean when I started RMA I don't even know how many years now I keep forgetting I <laughs> think nine years ago 
I didn't know what impact it was going to have, but I knew that it was, it wasn't about me. It was about bigger things. Mm. And there's been so many different people that I've just collided with, like in life that have had a story that I've gone, like, I just have, I just think, wow, we can make a difference in that, you know? Mm. And when, when I first heard about Love Mercy and, and I, I just love seeing how it has evolved over the last few years as well, you know, start with Sense for Seeds and then the water and all the different projects, Christina Health Clinic. And then when you talk to me about starting the maternity project, I just, it just clicked with me. Like straight away, I was like, yes, like this is something I want to get behind because I have the audience that would just connect with that. I was like, yes, women, mothers, you know, women across the world, we already um, supported projects on the ground in Australia, but I wanted to support something globally with Mm -hmm. RMA. And so I was so excited when we could partner and bring that first mother run to life and to find out that we made enough money to be able to get that humidity crib, um, that incubator to make a difference. And then hearing that story of those twins being born, when you shared it with me just the other day, like mm. my heart just gives to beat. Like I'm just, I have tears right now in my eyes because I just think, wow, like we made that difference for those people, you know, yeah. together as a collective, us women made a difference for other women across the world. So could you just explain to people listening, like what does it cost for us to be able, you know, what does our donation do? Like, uh, in terms of helping with the Christina Health Centre in the maternity project, like what kind of funds help support the projects and how can we make a difference? Yeah, thanks. That's a really good question. We, we're we working on um, our team over there have um, have reported a high incidence of preterm babies um, or women delivering preterm babies at the clinic. And so we're working on procuring another or purchasing another um, humidity crib, um, which is about six thousand dollars. So we're um, yeah, we're basically just working out fundraising for that, um, and then you know there's there's all of the the other things involved with with, with resourcing a clinic like this in in terms of um, medications and staffing, um, and we, you know we have a real vision to be able to educate communities um our team going out to educate communities remotely um and so we need resources for that um you know there's a high incidence of malaria right now um so just treating someone with malaria um is cost five dollars at the clinic it costs thirty dollars to sponsor a woman to go through the the sense for seed program um and it costs seven and a half thousand dollars to um to drill a well in Uganda and um, yeah, 35, 35 people have put their hand up this year and said, I'm, I, I want to drill a, a well for an entire community. And um, because I believe, you know, I believe that's a, a human right and um, it makes a huge difference, especially during this time of, of COVID, um, you know, obviously the hand sanitation and is, is really important and, um, and not moving around, I guess. Uganda was in lockdown for quite a number of months, longer than what we have been in New South Wales. 
And yeah, you can imagine having to go to get water, to walk to get water five or, you know, um, 10 kilometers away. So yeah, there's, there's some really exciting things on the horizon in terms of impact and um, how we can continue to, to stand alongside our friends um, in Uganda to continue to make a difference. Mm. And I'll put in the show notes like links to all those projects and how they can find out more. And, you know, maybe we can put a fundraising link in <coughs> to try and fund this second incubator. <laughs> like whatever it is great. you want to want to get ready that we can chuck it in and, um, you know, get whoever's listening, you know, five, ten dollars even. It all adds up. It all makes a difference. So, totally. um, yeah, get behind some of these projects. Wow. I mean, there's so many other things I want to ask. We could be here for hours. Oh, my God. I did want to ask you about motherhood as well. Yeah. Um, so you have two kids. So Indy, how old is Indy now? Indy's eight. Eight and Sonny, who's 18 months. I can't believe Sonny's 18 months already. He's actually older than that. I've lost count. I've, I've been saying for months that he's 18 months. I reckon he's probably, <laughs> he's two in November. What does that is make he? him? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's like 21 wow. months. Yeah. 21 wow. months. And are you enjoying yeah. this stage of motherhood? Obviously COVID with notwithstanding. <laughs> like, yeah. Look, I'm still, it? yeah. Like it's, I'm still enjoying it. Like I'm probably, yeah, obviously like parenting has its challenges every day. Yeah and challenging moments but yeah like they're just there's just such beautiful kids and um they have the most precious relationship um you know they fight like brother and sister but also they just love each other so much they're obsessed with each other and yeah it's just beautiful to be able to see that unfold and yeah, Sonny's like finding his speech. So every day he's something he's saying something different, which is really cute, and just his little voice. And Indy te- Indy's teaching him to say naughty words and <laughs> just <laughs> classic, classic big classic. sister stuff, you know. Of course. Um, <laughs> so I love yeah. that I still see them get out and cheer you on at training. And yeah, how they do, do. You, how how are you adjusting to like training now with two kids? Um, mm-hmm. instead of one now that you've obviously had Sonny and it's been a build to now you've taken on the challenge of running a marathon so mm-hmm. yeah let's talk about that like how's that challenge been I guess training for a marathon which takes a lot of time out of your world um, while navigating parenthood at the same time yeah yeah it's interesting like I, the training um, it hasn't been like it's more it's more training but I don't feel like I'm gone for longer (laughs) if that makes sense maybe on a Sunday obviously the Sunday long runs extended it's gone from sort of an hour 45 to um I've I've been running two and a half hours um on a Sunday morning but I can kind of get away with that because I I get out at make sure I'm out by 6 a.m and you know, yeah. my kids sleep in, thank goodness. So sometimes I'll get home and everyone will be still asleep, uh, which is amazing. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I just, I guess it's just the, the tiredness, the adapting mm-hmm. to the exhaustion, you know. It's not, yeah. it's just a real deep fatigue of marathon training. That's how I can describe it, the deep fatigue. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not lactic anymore. It's not straining um, like 5 and 10K training was. You know, at the track, you'd really be straining and breathing hard. Yeah. Marathon training, it seems a lot more relaxed respiratory-wise and heart rate and um but the deep fatigue um comes upon you so yeah <laughs> i can relate yeah. and i know like you get home i was just saying to someone the other day about how like i've pulled back from the longer stuff right now and i'm like oh you know i come home from my sunday long run and i've got energy to go garden whereas yeah. i used to be like oh, you couldn't get anything else out of me on a sunday it was like <laughs> i gotta eat and i gotta lay down <laughs> That's yeah funny. yeah so yeah and then you've got but, two kids that want your attention on top of that. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's it. Well, I know they've been great. Like, I think that I'm adapting to the training as well. Mm. So I'm able to, um, like, over the last few couple of weeks as well, I feel like I can do stuff outside of, outside of running, outside of training and yes. do more activities. Yeah, mm. so, but, yeah, they're great. They're great support. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do this without them and without their support. So, yeah. And you got, do you have Johnny like riding along on the bike for the long run? Um, your dress? <laughs> I um, no, I, um, I've been putting my drink bottles uh, outside of friends or outside my, my um, strength and conditioning coach, Jock um, Campbell's house oh, and yeah, just doing, doing some laps um, and just practicing my drinks like that. So that's been really good. And, um, but yeah, Johnny comes out, he, he mainly comes to the track and then to the, the Friday workout. Yeah. I don't make him get up on a Sunday morning. I mean, I don't make him come to anything. He, he just, <laughs> he just comes obviously, but he's, it's just easier with the kids yeah. on Sunday morning to, for me to just get out and get it done earlier and then get back and shower and pretend as if I'd never been out. <laughs> I love I'm really looking forward to seeing this marathon journey unfold. I'm so excited about it. Like I'm more excited than you maybe. I mean there's like a really healthy balance of nerves and excitement. Yeah. Like um I feel like um it's been a long time coming. Mm. You know, I've I, the half marathon, obviously I started a number of years back. 2015 was my first half and I was just as nervous for that as well. Like it's a big step up from 10K um, yeah. to run a half. And then again, and, uh, marathon's another different beast, you know. And so I think just a new challenge and um, I've actually really enjoyed the training. I think it suits my body um, like in the season that I'm at now in terms of what my body responds to. Um, yeah. fitness wise and endurance wise I think the training I've really responded to it well and yeah I'm, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to to lay down a time so have you got a race in mind or are we just waiting I for do. <laughs> I do <laughs> but you're, you, you, you're gonna hear it first it's um I haven't announced it officially yet because I was waiting on um all of the paperwork and exemption and everything but yeah I'm running London in less than three weeks wow I'm so excited for you that's yeah, awesome thank you thanks wow yeah it's it's um it is, yeah it is it's coming up quick um so I've got one more big push of training this week and then slow taper for two weeks and then yeah race October 3rd and then 
I have a flight home on October 4th and I'm just praying that it doesn't get cancelled or, yeah, because oh, yeah. obviously I don't want to spend any more time away from the kids and, and Johnny than I have to. And mm. But, yeah, I've got to do two weeks of hotel quarantine. So, okay. yeah, but I'll, so I'll be in hotel quarantine longer than I'll be in London, but <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully it'll be all worth it. Oh, you can um, talk to some of your friends like Genevieve about how to yeah, manage that's, myself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's such a pro now. Yeah, I will. I'll definitely be FaceTiming Jenny. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, I look forward to seeing that. Like, that'll be awesome. Will they televise <laughs> that so we can watch? Yeah, they'll, um, it'll be a live stream. It's, it's televised on the BBC live. Um, usually, uh, I think they're doing it again this year, but, and then, I'm, yeah, they'll have it live streamed somewhere. That's awesome. Well, if all else fails, I always just go to Facebook and type in whatever race I'm looking for and um, inevitably somebody in the UK will be sitting on their couch and just yeah. with, with the Facebook live on. Um, oh. So you normally get a couple of feet and, you know, <laughs> coffee, tea mugs in the way but, and if you're just watching it off someone else's TV. But yeah, that's how I've watched many, many, many races. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, I'm sure that people will be on it once they know you're running. It'll be up there for all of us to watch. I know it will be. I wanted to ask you about your book. Let's end here before we do the RMA hot lap. I want to talk to you about the book. So you have written a book. One more try. So you're soon to be an author. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you wrote the book and what is it about? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, I've written a book. Um, it's in its third draft. And um, I worked with a ghostwriter, uh, Simon Elliott, um, on the project. And it's been an interesting process. It's been fun and it's been um, challenging. I think when I posted about it on Instagram, I talked about you know, to, to accurately tell a story um, of a journey of like all of the highs and lows and you actually have to go back and, and feel it all again. Mm, <laughs> and yes. so that part I actually didn't, I wasn't expecting to be honest because um, mm -hmm. obviously like when, when I speak, as you mentioned before, we speak a lot in schools and corporately and when I, you know, when I share my story there, I don't necessarily, you know, there is emotion, but, um, you know, when, you, when you're actually getting it down on paper like you are in a book for, for it to be there in print, just the sheer detail and trying to bring somebody else, trying to bring the reader into your situation at the time and um, the feeling and the lessons learned and, you know, the, the take-home yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge and um, still is because it's still a work in progress. But, yeah, I can't tell you when it's going to be out, but hopefully um, in the, yeah, obviously in the coming months, yeah, just watch this space. It's, it's just really about my journey and I had the idea to, to put it all on paper to just try and help, I guess, people that might be going through similar things and. I guess help young people and young people that might not have um, that might not know their their value and their self worth and um, 
And yeah, there's just, you know, there's a couple of funny stories and super personal stuff that like, <laughs> Hey, you gotta, I've got to like, um, you know, I feel like you're going to write a book about your journey, then it's got to be, um, got to be like, you know, what's and all. Yeah. Being authentic always gets the, the best response, I think, you know, yeah. just being who you are and, and not someone you're not. And, you know, and, and I think that you, your story will just impact so many people and you've got a gift for sharing it. Um, and God's brought you into the world to impact people. You know, he's given you the connections that he's brought into your life. And um, it's exciting to see how it's all unfolded and it's exciting to see how it's going to continue to unfold. I can't wait to watch the marathon journey and I can't wait to see where, you know, Love Mercy Foundation continues on in its journey. It's just going to, it's changing the world. It's changing people's lives over in Uganda as well. And you're making a big impact on women in our world, in the running world in particular, um, here in Australia and and beyond. So, yeah, it's exciting. Really exciting. Thanks. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be plugging the book when it comes out. But Great. obviously we don't have it to plug right now. But we, I just wanted to kind of give people the idea that it's coming. Um, yeah, so great. Watch out for it. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, like I said, it's it was uh, it's been a fun project, and you know, I hope okay. that people just find. Um, I hope that people find hope, even amongst failure. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's why I wrote it. I really want people to find hope and feel like they can persevere and have one more try even um, amongst failure and, yeah. Mm, I love that. So true. All right, well, we're going to finish off with RMA Hot Lap. So at the end of every podcast, I ask five quick questions of our guests. <laughs> so your questions are... Who has been your greatest inspiration in your running career and why? And it doesn't have to be a runner. Oh, right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't have a single one. Like I don't have a single inspo. Um, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm inspired by pretty much anyone who feels, who feels fear but does, mm. does it anyway, you know, yeah. who feels fear. Um, but just perseveres and, and does things anyway. And I guess anyone who dares to get back up and, and try again after failing as well, like I'm, I'm inspired by, by those like people um, because I've had to look to those people throughout my career when I feel like, you know, I've failed or I've fallen short. I've looked for inspiration in those types of people and, yeah, and a, you know they come from all walks of life, right? Like it doesn't need yeah. to be athletes. It, um, yeah. yeah, great. Okay, so the second question was, where will we see Eloise in the next five years? So obviously, you've answered one of these parts of this question by saying you're going to be running a marathon in three weeks. What about yeah. the rest of your life? Can you, see, you know, where could you envisage Eloise in five years? Are you going to have five kids? Oh, like- <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you'll have to, yeah, I don't know. Um, wow. That escalated. Um, two to five. Wow. Um, you never know. Yeah, that's right. Five (laughs) years. So I don't know. I just hope that I'm, um, 
I hope that I'm still running competitively. That would be amazing um, yeah. because, you know, I want to, I, I, I believe that I can, no matter how this first marathon goes, I just want to work, you know, to get better. Like, so whatever the outcome in this first one is, um, my debut, it's just, it's really just the floor. It's not the yeah. ceiling, you know, yeah. it's going to be, it's the platform of which, on which I'm going to build the rest of my um, marathon and, and running career, hopefully. And um, yeah, like I just, you know, obviously the, the Olympics um, in Paris are in three years and Commonwealth yeah. Games is next year. Um, if I make that, that'll be my, my fifth Commonwealth Games. So that'll be, that'll be a milestone too. And, um, you know, women like Sinead Diver and, um, and Lisa Waitman, they inspire me, you know, to be in their, their 40s, um, 44 and 43 respectively. I think mm. they inspire me because I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's possible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's possible and... Um, and yeah, and I still love it. And I think that that's so much of the key is that I'm still passionate about it and I still have the desire to do it. And, um, that is so instrumental to, you know, I feel like if you've got the desire to do something, then no matter what challenges come up, you come up against, you're just going to find a way and find a solution. And I see that in, in athletes like Genevieve, who's, you know, obviously had such a devastating time at the, the last Olympics in Tokyo and yeah. just talking to her on the phone, I can, I can hear it in her voice. I can hear the, the determination and like you can hear the like, you know, not taking no for an answer. I'm, this is where I'm going and I'm coming back. Watch out, you know, yeah. and, and I love that. Um, yeah, I love that about her and, you know, many, many other athletes that I'm privileged to um, be friends with. And, yeah, I just hope that I'm still finding my potential as well. Mm. Like I think that, that when we, never, we never quite stop doing that, right, not only yeah. as athletes but also, also people. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you go back to your parents, like they instilled that in you and look at your mum still finding her potential, you know. Mm. That'll be you, like, running along the Esplanade at 70, like, <laughs> still trying yeah. to find your potential. So, you know. Yeah, I can't imagine myself swimming. I just can't. I don't know. No. We'll, we'll see. The next question was, what has been the greatest thing that running has given to you? Oh, friends. Friends from all over the world. Um, 100% is like the friendships that I've made and the people that I've met. Um, because at the end of the day, like when, you know, when you are like, as you say, old and gray, it's like, um, it's really all that matters is the connection. You're still going to always have that connection with people. And that, that is, you know, part of my values as a person is, is, community and um and connection with people and uh yeah it's just that has been probably the biggest blessing that has come out of um being able to travel as part of my job as an athlete um and um you know what running has given me the best thing that running has given me is yeah by far the friendships no 100 percent agree with you there uh, the next question is, do you wish your kids to be runners? <laughs> <laughs> um, I get asked this a lot, actually. Yeah. 
I don't think about it that much, but I'm, I think I always, um, I always think only it, like if they want to, you know, yeah. if they want to run, you know, Indy loves soccer at the moment. She loves running. She does run club at school. Like they, they have a run club before school, which is, which is great. Um, yeah. And she goes and does that and she's good at, you know, cross country and, um, but who knows, like she might decide that she doesn't want to do it when she's, you know, 15 and, you know, but like that, it would be, it would be fun to be able to go for a run with your child, like, um, you know, when they're older and, um, go for runs together. But I mean, running competitively is it's hard (laughs) it's probably not the sport that I would choose for my children (laughs) um uh, a lot of people are going to go why did you say that um but I I just think that you know if they want to do it and it gives them um life and gives them energy um and uh and it's where they find their um, passion and, and purpose, then yeah, I think that's all I really hope for them is that they they do what they love, yeah, yep. in the simplest form. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, the last question is, what do you want your kids to think about you when they look at you? Ah, uh, I want them to know unconditional love. I want them to know their value and their worth aside from what they accomplish or what they, what they succeed at in life, in anything, whether it's sport or academically. I think that no matter what, that I want them to know that they're loved, that they're worthy of being loved and, and hopefully the, the knowledge of that truth will free them up to pursue their passions, you know, that it'll, it'll help them to be free enough to try at something and risk failing because they know that they're valuable anyway, you know, they know that they're loved unconditionally. Ultimately, I think when you're free to do that, when you're free to jump into, to take risks and to, to make big, scary, audacious dreams and go after them. And if you fall short, they're still becoming who they were made to be through that process. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's, That's beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing oh, just so much of your story with us. I mean, we could be here for hours because I'd love to just unpack so much more of that. Um, I can't. I've got to go know, for another round. We've, yeah, we've got to get stuff done. But yeah. uh, where can people follow along you personally with your own journey? And also where can people follow along the work of the Love Mercy Foundation? Yeah, so you can go and check out Love Mercy and work there at lovemercyfoundation.org and you can check out the projects and um, decide to be, you know, become one of um, our Love Mercy community. Um, We have such a supportive um, Love Mercy family and community and, um, yeah, just so grateful for everyone on, um, on the Love Mercy team and, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Elsie Wellings, um, and Love Messies on Instagram as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. And thanks for joining us, Elsie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me for another episode of the RMA podcast. I hope you loved that episode with Eloise Wellings. What an inspiring woman and what an amazing story she has. 
I hope her story has given you some hope. And I look forward to seeing Eloise perform on the world stage in the marathon event and also the release of her upcoming book. To find out more information about the Love Mercy Foundation, you can head to lovemercy.org or I have added a link in the show notes where you can donate directly towards the work of the Love Mercy Foundation to be able to raise funds for an incubator for the maternity unit. So please head there and help out. That would be much appreciated. Or to follow on Eloise's journey, you can find Eloise on Instagram at Elsie Wellings. Next episode of the podcast I bring to you is something a little bit different. So I hope that you look forward to tuning in next time. A few things to mention also is that we have launched our 2022 RMA Ultra Trail Australia training package. We have quite a few girls that have already joined up and we look forward to sharing in their journey towards Ultra Trail Australia in 2022. So you can head over to the website to sign up for that program. Also, we have the RMA Christmas singlets, which are now on sale and a pre-order open for other gear. So head there as well. And I just want to thank everybody for coming on board this journey with RMA this weekend just past we have celebrated our eighth birthday. So it's been such an amazing journey along the way and I look forward to many more years to come. For now, I hope you are safe and well wherever you are and I look forward to speaking to you next time.